in verse number 18. Let's look at that scripture. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus said, And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. We're talking about what is it that the gates of hell shall not prevail against. Is it just uh, our message or believers or, you know, that, or is it his church? And we're, we're looking at the, the thing that Jesus promised, perpetuity or eternal life until he comes back, was his church. And he's talking about his church. So we started with that and... And uh, uh, so I thought, well, well, I'll continue it later and all that. And then uh, I, I mentioned about Lamar uh, being on Wednesday night. But no, we're, he's, he's now uh, in the series on Sunday night, which although I missed, I was at Foundation Baptist, Baptist, Baptist Church. I heard the message very good. Great start of the series there. Um, and, but that's meaningless. This is meaningful tonight. Okay, so <laughs> I love Lamar. I really do. I just love him. <laughs> the best body bag I've ever seen before, man. It's just great. Um, so anyway, the, the things that we're dealing with tonight, there's a purpose, folks. There's a purpose that I'm dealing with these things because we need to know, we need to learn some things. And although there's some teaching involved, uh, it affects us. It affects how we serve the Lord, how you see the local church, how you see the church. It will affect how you participate or maybe not participate in the Lord's service. When Jesus promised an ever-living presentation of the gospel to the world, what was it that he was talking about when he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it? Um, last week, I started with the statement that the church is not merely when believers are gathered together. Sometimes people uh, uh, get, make a misnomer or misidentification uh, or diagnosis of what the church is. Uh, believers sometimes look at the promised presence of the Lord in passages like Matthew 18, verse number 20, where he said, Therefore, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there, Jesus says, I am in the midst of them. And they look at that as the church, like that's the church. The church is wherever two believers are gathered together. But that's not the case. That's not what Jesus said. He, he, he uh, promised his presence in the situation like that, but that's not the church. In the same way, when the Bible speaks of something... Like, for instance, when we dealt with uh, the Lord's Supper, you know, where some people say, well, the Lord's Supper should be every Sunday. Because there are some verses in the book of Acts that says when the believers gathered together every, every Sunday, when they gathered, uh, they broke bread. And they see the breaking of the bread as the Lord's Supper. But the Bible speaks of breaking bread. Some mistake it every time that is mentioned for partaking of the Lord's Supper since Jesus broke bread in the observance of his supper in Matthew chapter 26, verse number 26, this is when he instituted his supper. By the way, I'm going to be dealing with a lot of stuff. I got a, I got a lot of notes here, and I've got uh, 25 minutes to do it. So I'm going to speak quickly. Listen quickly. All right, here we go. I just kind of try to stay with me because I'm going from point to point as, as we go through here. So uh, 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 Jesus said in Matthew chapter 26, or the Bible says about Jesus in the group. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and break it. So here it is, and he's instituting his, uh, they call it the Last Supper, his supper, the communion supper. He gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body, and then with the juice the same way. So the breaking of the bread is named here in reference of or to this communion. 
the communion of the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, 16. Now, uh, I'm used to this, where, where verses are behind me, and I'm just flying through there. So if you want to get it later, you, well, you could always listen to the message audibly, but if you want to get it later and study it later, then you could just copy the reference. I was doing this Sunday night, and they couldn't keep up with me. I had a lot of scriptures, and going from one to the other and to the other, and they're all going, you know, so, all right, sorry about that, but I'm used to this, okay? So I'm just going to uh, fly through this. If you want to just uh, mark it down, hey, Ashley. How you doing? There's Ashley, a pastor's wife from Sela. <laughs> hey, it's cool. It's good to see you. I, interrupt me like that. Don't be interrupting the message. Come on. Anyway, so where was I? Okay. Uh, so he, he's talking about the, the Lord's Supper, and he says um, that he, he blessed the bread, break it. So uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 16, the same thing. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break. Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? So <clears throat> people associate the breaking of bread like the Lord's Supper. And you can understand that with, with passages like that. And then the next logical step <clears throat> is to assume that the breaking of bread, wherever it is, in places like Acts chapter 20 and verse number 7, it refers to the partaking of the Lord's Supper. Acts 27 says, and upon the first day of the week, what's the first day of the week, by the way? Sunday, Sunday. You know, we have calendars where you can switch it up any way you want to, you know, uh, and you can make the first day be Monday, like that's the first of your work week or whatever. But no, no, technically, the first day of the week is Sunday. And by the way, it's also called the Lord's Day. You know, that's not what I say. That's, you know, a biblical reference to the Lord's Day. It's the Lord's Day, not the Lord's morning, by the way. But nonetheless, so he, he's, it says there that when they came together um, in uh, Acts 20, verse number 7, uh, they came together to... To, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them and so on. So here they're saying, okay, that's what a church service is. A church service when you all get together and you have communion, you have the Lord's Supper. So on the first day of the week or every Sunday, churches should partake of communion. I, I was a part of a church like that once when they did that, you know, once every Sunday. And then I've been church, with churches where they did it once a month and then other churches were just every once in a while. But they'll look at verses like this and say, okay, there you go. <clears throat> Breaking bread means uh, the Lord's Supper, the communion. And so they did that every uh, first day of the week or every Sunday. And thus, you'll have believers holding to a false narrative. That conclusion would be correct that they're supposed to take communion every Sunday if every instance of breaking bread was a reference to partaking of the Lord's Supper. But that's not the case. Because Jesus made it very clear in the conclusion of when he instituted his supper that he would not be partaking of this ordinance with us until we were all gathered around the table in his, his kingdom. Referring possibly to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Matthew chapter 26 verse 29. This is when he was instituting the Lord's Supper when that first time. And this is what he said about that. I say unto you, I will not, I'm not doing this again with you. The next time I'm doing this is in the kingdom. I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So he says this uh, uh, observance of the Lord's Supper, I'm not going to be doing this with you until it's all over and we're in the kingdom of God altogether. But a breaking of bread did take place with his disciples in Luke chapter 24, verse number 30, after he said that. This is what it says. And it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and... What do you know? 
the breaking of the bread. Must be communion. Absolutely not. You know that's not communion because he told us that would not be communion. It's, it's not an, uh, every time you break bread means the com communion. And there, there's proof for that. Because here he broke bread, but it was absolutely not communion because he said he wasn't going to be doing that. And here Jesus was, you know, doing the, with this after uh, his, the, the institution of the Lord's Supper and gave to them. Well, obviously this was not the Lord's Supper. This must have been then merely a reference to fellowshipping around a meal together, which is what breaking of the bread means. You're eating together. You're, you're fellowshipping together around food. <clears throat> so uh, this is an instance of breaking of bread that did not refer to the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Thus, Acts chapter 20, verse number 7, and passages like it cannot be used as a proof text for observing the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. Okay, so you understand that. If you, if you understand what the scripture says, and, and, and it's all, it's kind of like a puzzle. The, 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 the Bible is a puzzle, like a thousand piece puzzle, and you don't know where they all fit, so you, you kind of got to, you know, well, does it fit here, does it fit here? And then you kind of identify everything, and it fits, in, and, it's, and it's in perfect harmony. It's when you put things in the wrong place, and then what happens if you do that with a puzzle like that? I knew of a gal that did those puzzles and got real frustrated because right near the end of the puzzle, she couldn't actually finish it because maybe she took a, a piece and put it someplace else and it was, wasn't, wasn't supposed to go there. So she would take scissors and she would make it fit and then put it in there, you know. But then what happens is when you're <laughs> at the end of the puzzle, you get all kinds of uh, pieces that don't fit. But the Bible is harmonious and it fits together and it's, it's all true. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, contradict itself. So anyway, getting back to the original point. Gathering together, just because Jesus said when two are gathered together, that's not the church. He identifies the church. He's, he talks about the church. But anyway, so gathering together, merely gathering together, although special, it's honored by the Lord, it's not always an example of the church. Although when we do gather together, here's more than two together, we are having church. This is an assembly together. And we also mentioned the law of first mention. I'm trying to hurry to, to get us up to speed here so we can continue. Uh, the law of first mention. This is why the book of Genesis is so important. Uh, the first mention of God. The first mention of the devil. Every time the Bible, the very first time the word or the, or the, the concept appears in the word of God, it's very important. It's significant. So in Genesis, of course, it's the first book of the Bible. There are many things that are, that are mentioned the very first time. That first time it's mentioned is very significant. The fall is mentioned. The curse is mentioned. Death is mentioned. The promise of the Savior. Scores of other things are set. The parameters of the definitions for these words. Although there are several additional meanings, nuances given to concepts or words as we go, the first time it's mentioned is by far the most important. I gave the illustration of tongues. You know, the first time that tongues is used, although it's referenced in the Old Testament, the very first occurrence of this, it is in Acts chapter 2, where it says they spoke with tongues or other tongues. And, and how was that? Well, here were the uh, um, apostles, they were speaking, and they were, they were uh, speaking human languages. It wasn't gibberish. Today you got people going, blah, 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 and that's supposed to be Bible tongue. No, it's not. If you look at just keep it, don't change the definitions. If you, you just keep it in the context, then, if, then you'll understand this is speaking about human languages. Matter of fact, there's 13 of them that are listed, and one of them is actually, uh, you know, the Roman tongue or Italian. Hey, uh, hey, parla uh, italiano uh, in Acts chapter 2, and I could have understood a little bit of that there. 
So, but anyway, that's what it is. Don't change the, the and then later people are changing definitions and, and sometimes on very shaky grounds. The only time that the tongue of angels is talked about is 1 Corinthians 13 where it says, though I have the tongue of men and of angels and have not charity or love, then I'm nothing. It doesn't work like a tinkling bell or, or a symbol that you can't, it's just making noise. And what he's saying there, of course, is a, a hypothetical. Matter of fact, he gives two or three different hypothetical situations that can't happen. It's not possible. It doesn't happen. If I understood all mysteries, who understands all of the word of God? Not a man. But Paul says, if it was possible for me to understand all of this and then have not love, then, you know, it's worthless. That's what he's saying. He's giving a hypothetical, saying, if I can, if I can uh, spread my wings and fly and I don't have that, then it's, it doesn't do me any good. And that's what he's saying. That's the only time tongues of angels is mentioned. So therefore, getting back to the point, the first time the Bible mentions something, it is very, very important. So the very first time the word church, or the concept of church is used is in Matthew chapter 16, where we started. Uh, that word, church, is ecclesia. It's a... It's a uh, uh, very first time that word is mentioned, or that the church is mentioned, Matthew chapter 16, uh, although it may, might be alluded to in the Old Testament, here it appears the very first time in form and definition. It's built by Jesus, we said. It's opposed throughout human history, but never overcome or completely stomped out. He says the gates of hell shall not, be, shall not prevail against it. <clears throat> It'll be on the offensive, not the defensive. Uh, the gates of hell, gates are, are defensive uh, uh, measures. Uh, not offensive, they're defensive. And he, he says the church is actually, actually going to be on the offensive, gaining, gaining uh, uh, souls for, for eternity, even in, in Satan's territory. Amen. Thank the Lord for that. Sometimes we kind of get the, 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 the wrong idea, like we're on the defensive. Well, just stay in the fort and just hang on. You know, Jesus is coming. Just, you know, just, if you just hang on till the morning, then it'll be all right. No, Jesus said, get out there, charge, go. And, and uh, we're to, we're to uh, preach the gospel to every creature. Battles will be fought over the church. That's what he says. There's going to be conflict. Gates of hell shall not prevail. That means there's, there's conflict. Um, and it's present in every age. It's alive today. The New Testament church is alive today according to the promise of Christ. I can say that with, with total confidence because Jesus promised it. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. No matter what kind of a, an attack, what kind of persecution... If folks have to become martyrs, it doesn't matter. The church will flourish, and it will, it will continue, and it will go. And that means that uh, today, what is it, uh, October 23rd, 2019, the church is alive and well today. His church, the church that he started, is still here. And it's given authority and presence and his, his power. So the word chosen to define the word church, ecclesia, um, was ek and kaleo, those two uh, Greek words that are put together, ek is out of and kaleo, to call. It's to call out of, of the masses or out of the, the world uh, a gathering of believers to assemble together. It's an assembly. Matter of fact, that's what the word means, is an assembly or a gathering of believers called out for the purpose of glorifying God, carrying out the great commission, the marching orders. Matthew chapter 28, when he says, uh, all power is given unto me, go ye therefore, and he gives the, order, the, the orders to the, to the church. So every time the word ecclesia is used, it's used, it's local, it's visible, it's organized. It's not this invisible, 
you know, uh, uh, spiritual thing. It's the spiritual church. You know, it's, it's, it's not something that we can see or feel or be a part of. It's this, uh, you know, uh, they, they talk about it like God's kingdom. Folks, don't, don't mix up the words. Now, you could be in the family of God and be part of the family no matter where you are. As long as you're born again, you're in the family of God. You're brothers and sisters in Christ. But the church is a called out assembly of believers gathered together, meeting in a certain place. You can see it. They're, 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 uh, uh, it's local, has a, has a place, has a, a body. And that's the, the, the Lord's people that are gathered together in that assembly. <clears throat> the only three or four times that the word church is used otherwise, like I said, is in the institutional sense. And you can see that in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 where it says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church. Well, which church did he love? Uh, the, the church in Sammamish or the church in Woodenville or the church in uh, uh, Bellingham? You know, well, it's all church, every church. The institution of the church, that's what he's talking about, just like Husbands, love your wives. Well, which wife? Well, it's every husband should love his wife in the institution, in the, 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 uh, when we're dealing in the institutional sense of marriage. And that's, that's the, the only, there's three or four times that that's used. And if you just understand that, the other 118 times that the word church is used, it's always a place, it's always uh, people that are gathered together, flawed people, by the way, human people that are not perfect, that are gathered together, they're trying to uh, carry out God's commission, that is the church. That's the definition. It's, it's local, it's visible, has a body of living, breathing saints. It's in the whole of the teaching of the Bible that we see that overwhelmingly it's identified as local, visible, gathered together in one location. Um, let me illustrate here. This building, when we built it, I remember, we are living in the, the mobile right here, and we finally got ready for, you know, cleared the permits, everything else. Okay, let's get started after the, uh, uh, the, the guys came and dug this out. Uh, what is that called? Excavators. The excavators, they were done, uh, laid the foundation. Okay, so we're all ready to build. There's nothing here. I remember that first morning when we had, you know, uh, from the... Uh, lumber companies and from hardware companies and all and they started bringing stuff and just laying them on the on the property got all the wood got all the flooring got all the shingles for the roof and i mean had we had piles of it wasn't junk it was piles of material building material you could take a look at that and say hey that's the building the lord jesus christ building that's the the wooden valley baptist church no it was a bunch of building materials once we assembled it together now it's a building now you can understand, because now it's assembled, it's gathered together, and it's joined, and it's, it's got a purpose and all that. It's a building now. Then it was just a bunch of pieces. It was, it was, uh, it was not a building. It was just uh, the, the materials for the building, all right? <clears throat> just like there are believers all over the world. But till they are put together in one assembly, till they're joined together, they're not a church or an assembly. Folks, if you just remember that, that it's the the word means assembly, then it just it just answers so many questions that you have. You know, sometimes a person will come here. We say, well, uh, do you belong to a church? Oh yeah, I believe I'm in the true church. That means they don't attend anywhere. They they're not a member of any church. They're that that's that's not biblical, folks. It's not biblical. They're looking at the word church in the wrong way because that doesn't that's the church means an assembly. And if you understand it, keep it there, then you'll be okay. 
<clears throat> everybody in the family of God, for sure, but it's not, call, it's not a called out assembly of believers joined together to obey the Lord's commands. So the church is specific. It's particular. It's empowered to do the job that it has been given. Now to continue with the thoughts that I wanted to get to last time. I wonder, are, are we ready? Are we good? Okay, there, there's a, um, a couple of videos that I came across that, you know, talking about missions. And folks, it's going to be important for us to understand these things. Uh, what I'm saying, because it, under, it, it colors the way that we attack missions, what we do on the worldwide scale, what we do here with our missionaries or our outreach or, or everything. You know, uh, if you got the, the church right, then you'll, you get so many other things right. So I want you to look at this, and, and this, was, uh, this was such the, the first part of this. It's just so powerful. It is so right, so powerful, and uh, it was impacting. So I want you to look at this. We'll stop it a little bit and, and talk a little bit about it, and then we'll continue in just a little bit. So go ahead, let's hit it. I bet you've seen one of these before. I bet you'd have a hard time finding someone who hasn't. This book is the most widely known and most printed book on the entire globe. So in today's world, when everyone is so connected, information is so accessible, and Christianity seems to be so widespread, is the Great Commission to go out and make disciples of all nations still relevant? Is this final command from Jesus outdated? While this book is the most widely printed, did you know that over a third of the world's population has never seen it or even heard its message? There are over three billion unreached people on the earth today. Unreached meaning they have never heard of Jesus because their entire community has never heard of Jesus at all. But the world is already filled with missionaries, right? So how can this be true? Well, there are a lot of missionaries, but most of them are in places where Christianity is at least somewhat familiar. And here's the reality. Less than 10% of all the missionaries around the world exist in these unreached areas where entire people groups have never heard the name of Jesus. That's right, 10%. So while we are doing a lot as the global church, there still remains a giant void we seem to have missed. What if there was a way to radically change this, to fill the void, to reach the unreached? Okay. <clears throat> I don't know if that touches your heart, but it seems like it can't not touch a believer's heart that, that is connected to the Lord. Did you hear about that? Over 3 billion people that are unreached. We are blessed, folks, because we have the gospel. It's so prevalent. I was, ta I was talking to a Gideons today, one of the uh, Gideon uh, members, and he was talking about when they go to foreign countries with the Bibles, they're mobbed. People will, will run them over to get the Bible from the free Bibles that they give out. Here, you couldn't almost pay people to take the Bible, and they couldn't care less, you know, because people are just so, uh, so used to it. But goodness, there's a lot of people that are unreached. Uh, by the way, where do you think God's going to get the laborers to reach the world? He's going he's gonna to be active in this church in touching people here. 
old people, young people, he's going to be calling folks to do that, to do just that, to, to reach the world. Goodness, thanks for that, that video, man. What a, I don't think I've ever seen a missions video with the quality and message that, that uh, we have there. Wow, man, it's, um, do we have, let me ask you this question, do we have the intensity of Jesus that he had in rescuing the harvest of the generation that he did when he spoke to his disciples, for instance, John chapter 4, when he tried to get them out of the daily ground, uh, the daily ground, uh, what they were doing, their stupor, and, and they were concerned about their lunch, and they concerned about their, you know, and, and John chapter 4, they were concerned about, well, hey, eat, eating. And he says, I have meat that you don't know about. And then he, he kind of rebukes them. And he says, say ye not, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. He was concerned about getting to the harvest of those people that were around him. They were concerned about, about reaching out to people who had never heard so they could, they could have the, the... Come on, folks. We got a world to reach, a world of precious souls that God loves deeply, more than you and I ever could. Souls who should have a chance to be saved. I'm so glad that I got a chance to be saved. So glad I heard about the gospel. So glad that I, that I said yes, but the Spirit of God spoke to me and brought, had patience. Oh, my goodness. But just a chance. How about giving others just a chance? Wow. You know, the problem is there. The problem is there, and, and we've, got to, we've got to understand. And, and, and they're grappling with the problem. How do we do this? How can we reach these people? It was, a, it was an honest question. It was like, okay, how do, how do we do this? Well, then, um, let's, let's uh, are you ready with the next clip? Okay, we're, we're just taking a look, look at a, a portion of this, and I'm going to make a comment on it, and we'll go on from there. Let's, let's have it. When you lead your neighbor to Christ, don't bring him into your church. Start another one. And when he leads his friend to Christ, start another one. She leads her cousin to Christ, start another one. So that a movement is simply something that has started to move on its own. Good, thank you. And, and just keep it right there at this picture just for a little bit. So they're, they're talking about how to do this, how to, to reach out. And I'm going to spare the whole video, but this was one, an organization. There's another organization that I've been dealing with that in the same, the same vein, and so I'm kind of communicating with them. I want to know how they're talking about it, how to, how to do this. Uh, there, uh, this other ministry that used some of the same techniques and methods, they were great. They're good in concept. They're soft in organization. They're, quote, churches. Their churches were identified not much more than two or three gathered together in his name. And that's wonderful. Thank the Lord for that. Again, like I say, we have the Lord's presence, and, and it's a good thing Jesus talked about blessing that group, but that's not a church. It's not exactly the biblical definition of a church. I wanted to get some clarification to my concerns, so I wrote him the, uh, the following words. I said, after looking through much of the East-West ministries that they had, I have some questions. The program of multiplication seems to say that these small home group Bible studies multiply into churches, which then accomplish the task of a permeated field. The philosophy seems to be disciples making disciples, and it's kind of something like this. It was similar. It was another one that, that was like this that I'm referring to. Disciples making disciples who make disciples, who then form into churches, who begin making churches, who make churches, etc. My question is, how full and how complete are these new churches? Is there a pastor or elder ordained in every place where 
a gathering is in existence as Paul encouraged Titus to accomplish with each of those New Testament places that needed to organize in the churches. And he said this in Titus chapter 1, verse number 5. For this cause, when, when Paul was instructing Titus, he says, you got a job, Titus. For this cause, left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldst set in order. And that's important what he said. Set in order, organize. Set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders. Now that's one of the two offices of the New Testament church, the, the church that Jesus set up, that, the, that you ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. And then Paul goes into the biblical qualifications of a pastor and deacon, continuing with verse number six. He talks about the qualifications of a deacon, the qualifications of a pastor. And so you know, he identifies it very, very particularly. So in my letter, I said, it seems as though the setting things in order would be authority, ecclesiastical, ecclesiastical and scriptural issues, dealing with church issues. Even if you were to limit the, need, the needed information to the small letter of Titus, there's a great amount of subject matter that Paul tells Titus as he says to set up these churches. You and I know that there are a multitude of stands and issues that would apply to doctrinal ecclesiastical issues, pastoral qualifications, authority, feeding and caring for the flock, financial matters, biblical qualifications pertaining to pastors, deacons, ordinances, Christian growth, prophecy. We could go on and on. As a matter of fact, the list is as long as the all things whatsoever I've commanded you that Jesus said or the entire Bible as our textbook. It seems to me that one essential characteristic of a New Testament church is having a spiritual leader to occupy the role of pastor, shepherd, feeder, overseer of the church to protect the flock from attack and the enemy's destructive influences. Who is the elder among the, those infant churches that is feeding the flock and watching for their souls? When he says, okay, just gather a few people and they read the Bible and then get other people and they go into their home, they do the same, they do the same, and then you got churches everywhere, church, 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 church. Those are, those are people gathering together and learning some Bible truth. Wonderful, but that's not a church. Not according to what God says when he says, okay, I want you to set these things up, ordain elders. I think the, the thing I missed, and this is my letter continuing, I think the thing I missed in the information is the organizing into official churches. We're talking about, you know, the establishing, doing what Jesus commanded us to do, what the New Testament says in the, the, the manual. This is a manual of church planting. And what I missed is the information in organizing into official churches. As Paul instructed Titus to ordain elders and organize into churches in the places where there were, there were interested believers who desired to follow the Lord, how do these interested groups of believers actually organize into churches where they can carry out the Lord's commission of making disciples, baptizing them, and discipling, uh, discipling them in with and through the church that Jesus started? Or is it the position that any or every believer can practice the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. How one views the church is paramount in my estimation. It colors everything else we do, every outreach we use, everything we teach. Although clarification is needed, no matter your answer, I can see how this template can be used to evangelize and prepare a place for the starting of many churches. That's good. Where, I, where I've saw the, seen the weaknesses, Hey, you got to get them organized into churches. This is good. This is a, a great way to, to do that. So I emphasized it when we started that all of us, all of us have all that we need, all the tools to do the job. God has given us as the church, the church that he started, everything that we needed. Now tonight, 
We'll close with the respect to the divine blueprints of the foundational church planting manual. That's this. The Bible is the church planting manual. You want to know how to do it? You want to know? Not just good ideas. Not just say, hey, this is a good idea. Let's try. How are we going to do this? Let's, well, how about this? How about, you know what? We don't have to come up with the idea. God's already given them to us. All we got to do is follow them. These are the blueprints. This is the manual. This is the, and so what we do now tonight, we're going to cl close with the, the respect to divine blueprints of the foundational church planting manual. Because to answer our original question, it's the church that will not fail. Not individuals or even mo movements. They die out. Jesus said, I will build my church. Let's not forsake God's plan and program. So with respect to Jesus Church planting 101 manual, the, what he's given us, the Bible, with respect to this, number one, as a church, and how we look at things, how we should look at things biblically, we should place the same value and the same preeminence upon the church that God does. How about we do that? You know, you can't go wrong if you go ahead and have the same attitude that God has towards something. You know, let's say God... Uh, is down on some sin, some wickedness, or something that's, that's uh, uh, filthier or, or uh, damaging. And we say, well, it's not that bad. No, no, how about we have the same attitude that God has toward our sin or toward whatever it is that he's dealing with? Let's have the same attitude towards the church. Well, what is that? What is his attitude? Well, the Bible is very clear. The church has been loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Ephesians 5, 25, we mentioned this. Husbands, love your wives as as Christ also loved the church. How much did he love the church? He gave himself for it. It's not something that it's just, you know, a side thing or a good thought or, a, no, no. It's something that, that the Lord has a, a passionate uh, emphasis in his heart towards the church that he started. He loved the church, gave himself for it. And this says that he might sanctify, cleanse it, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church. This is for himself. This is what he wants. He's cleaning it. He's, he's getting it in, in order for himself. Uh, and then he says, so ought men to love their wives, as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. So he loved the church. He birthed the church. As he said, I will build my church in our text. I will build my church. He equipped the church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11. The Bible says this about his church. But those that are gathered together and in the church context, because he's talking about pastors and teachers, in Ephesians 4, verse number 11. And he gave some apostles, that's when he started the church, and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting or the maturing, the completing of the saints. That's what he did. He gave these, these gifts, these these helps, these tools, so that believers can be perfected or matured or uh, put together where everything they need for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. He empowered the church, Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth, go ye therefore. And so he's empowered that church, saying, Hey, listen, don't worry about it. You've got all the power that you need, the power of heaven. And he's talking to his church when he, when he said that. Not individuals, but his church says this is what you're to do and you're to go on. He maintains the church in Revelation chapter 2, verse number 2. He says to the church there, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and everything about that. He, you know what? He said that six times. 
when he was dealing with, with those churches, every one of the churches, he says, I know, in, in verse number 9, verse number 13, verse number 19, chapter 3, verse number 1, verse number 8, verse number 15, he says six times, it says the exact same thing. I know you, I know exactly what's going on. Did you know that Jesus walks through his, he's interested in the church. You know, somebody says, well, I just, you know, serve the Lord. I, I worship the Lord on the mountains. Yeah, great, but you know what? The Lord attends church. <laughs> And he's concerned about that. He, he uh, 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 maintains the church. He disciplines the church. He says that in 1 Corinthians 11.30, for those that are being dumb about his things and flippant, he says, um, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. There, there are believers who are chastened severely because he disciplines his church. He employs believers through the church, Acts chapter 13. I've got to run through this and, and finish. It's... See, the church is eternal and it's undying. When he says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, he means it. Okay, and that's his church he's referring to. And his church is given power and authority. We started with Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. I'll give it to to the, the, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. He's not talking to Peter. He's gone long, long ago. He's talking about that church. He just said, I will build my church. And he's giving that church the keys or the authority of heaven. So, number one, we should place the same emphasis, the same value, the same preeminence that God places on his church. Number two, we should find our place of service. Our place of growth, our place of worship and glorifying God in his church. Ephesians 3.21, unto him be glory in the church. Hey, folks, did you know something that the church is designed to bring God glory? It's, it's what he, he desires from all of us, from this church. And we should find our place of service in that church. Looking at the church, the modus operandi, the MO of the church there is no room for believers to leave the church for any reason unless the Lord uh, instructs you to go out and, and, uh, and to uh, uh, do his work somewhere else or whatever. Every church is flawed. Let me, uh, let me give you an amber alert here. This church is flawed. I know you got a perfect preacher, but there's a lot of flawed people in the congregation, you know. No, actually, every believer on earth is flawed, and you're looking at a flawed a, a human, we were just talking about this just the other day. Listen, this is the perfect word of God. This is an imperfect vessel. Um, but every, every church is, is flawed. Every program of man is lacking in some way. Whenever man puts his hand to it or has part to do with it, it's, it's not your search for a perfect church. If you're looking for a perfect church that has no problems or they're, they're right in every way, forget it. Forget it. There's probably not... Uh, that kind of a church this side of heaven. Every church is flawed. It's you working by faith under the authority and through his church here on earth designed to develop believers and outreach to the world through it. That's what we're supposed to do. Even in churches that are imperfect, too many organizations seek to leave the church behind or leave the church for man's programs or as was stated recently by a popular Christian leader, I quote, to make an end run around the church to reach the world. What? What? That's not God's plan. No, no, he said, when I come back 
to, the, to earth. Am I going to find faith on earth? When he started here, he says, I will build my church. It's going on throughout this age. It's not going to stop. It's my plan. And then people say, well, you know, church is not doing it, so we got to get around the church. Well, yeah, there, there's uh, people that are not following. There's churches that are not following the instructions or the directions. But an end run around the church, that's crazy, folks. That's unbiblical. That's out of place. Beware of any parachurch organization that separates themselves from the church to, quote, more effectively do its job of evangelism. A parachurch organization can be good, it can be beneficial, as long as it's tied to or it works through and is subject to the church. There, there's some uh, possibly beneficial parachurch helps, some missions boards, if they're not going to overstep the local church and they're working with you know, churches as the authority, that they could be good. Like, for instance, I was just thinking, thinking about that the other day. We support, I don't know, about 30 missionaries, something like that. And we don't send it directly to anybody on the floor. We do for like two or three of them. But most of them, it goes through, it goes through some place where they'll, they'll take care of the changing of the money. and all. It's a blessing. If it's a blessing to a church to get the job done, it's good. When it oversteps the church, then it's not good. Some Bible publishers, good, as long as they're subject to the inspection, the identif identification of the church, then great. They could do that. They could, they could but, because the Bible says, 1 Timothy 3.15, if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to believe, uh, behave thyself in the house of God, the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Folks, this is the truth. We're publishing the Bible how do we identify? How do we keep it straight? How do we uh, recognize the truth? It's through those churches and down through the ages, New Testament churches as all, have always held, they've always recognized what the, the, the uncorrupted word of God is. When Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Not one jot, not one tittle shall, shall pass till all be fulfilled. All, the, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's all perfect. It's all his, his word and it's all preserved. We know that's Jesus' promise. And so the church has always been able to identify that. And then you get some Bible uh, uh, publishers or societies that go out and they'll, they'll go out for some uh, quote, scholarly, but, but corrupted text. No, no, that's not the job of Bible societies. That's the job of, the, biblically, it's the job of the church. And so if they're going to be subject to the church and if we're going to be paying attention underneath the, the auspices or the authority, the direction of the church, it's good. But you get out of that, then it can be bad. Uh, any creations, I love creation science. As long as it doesn't overstep the church, but can be a tool for the church, wonderful. Uh, Bible teaching, Bible classes. If it's in and through the church, it's, it's wonderful. Financial educators. But let me say this. I want you to pay attention. Each and every organization that goes its own way, that disregards or oversteps the church, is in a stage of decline or deformation from God's original design. I don't have time to, to repeat that. Listen to the message again, all right? Um, sooner or later, you'll have colleges or universities that promote infidelity, uh, worldliness, heresy. Why? Well, they get away from being underneath the auspices or underneath the, the, the authority or uh, subjection to churches, the, the Lord's churches, musical groups that don't uh, do much more nowadays than imitate the world. Bible studies that either close an eye to or promote heresy. Why? Because they don't have a pastor that says, hey, that's right and that's wrong. Because they're getting away from uh, the, the biblical uh, 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 
promotion, the biblical uh, method. Okay, there's three things I wanted to get to. Number one, we should place the same value, same preeminence as the church. Number two, we should find our place of service in the church. Number three, and I'd like to say this, I'd like to say it real quick, I'm already past due, but give me a few minutes and let me, let me finish these thoughts and then I won't get back to it. Number three, when we encounter problems, folks, this is where we are. Okay, pay attention. This is where we stand right now. Your pastor doesn't deal with stuff because I just want to deal with stuff. No, many times there are certain things we need to hear about, we need to listen to, we need to pay attention, because this is where we are. When we encounter problems, which we will, we should seek to improve the church. If hey, you know, this, it's, not, it's not going the way we ought. Well, it's our job, we're part of the church, to improve that. That is, until there's nothing that we can do to stem the tide of heresy or malignancy or the danger that we're in, then, yeah, then you have to take some drastic measures, and then you have to leave. Our fidelity has got to be to the Lord and his word first and foremost. I've seen people hang on to uh, certain organizations or schools or movements or churches, and they're going way into heresy, and they're just hanging on because it used to be good. Hey, chunk that stuff. Let's be faithful to the Lord, okay? we got to understand that. But never leave a church till you have the command from the Lord and his word saying, get out of there. Okay? When I can, when I can amputate a body part to, to save the whole body, I should. No matter the pain and the loss. Now, when the body is unrepairable, then get ready to move to heaven because you're going to leave that body. It's when the body is so far gone that it will bring you down with it to remain apart, then you should prayerfully seek another church. Okay, if that's the situation of that church, then yeah. Until the situation is so dire that either you or the whole church is at risk, then we should do all that we can to fight for the life and the health of that body. Who do you think God is going to use to fight infection and disease here at Wooden Valley Baptist Church. You, you of course, me. Remember that Christ loved the church as men should love their wives. Would you fight for your marriage if your wife gets sick? Ah, no, I'll throw in a towel. Uh, what if she burns a dinner? That's enough, I'm not married to this. You know, that's, that's enough, I'm gone. Or she wrecks the car. None of us would be married then. No, <laughs> no, that's, that's, no, no, no. Sorry, I just, I just alienated half of the congregation. You know. <laughs> Folks, let's fight for the church in the same way. All right? If, if you see others jumping ship off of a healthy, obedient church, think twice before you bail. God will hold every one of us accountable to our attitude or our actions towards his church. And by the way, it's his church. I would not be guilty of raising my hand or heel to his church. He builds it, and he's given it authority and preeminence today. We're, we'll close with a verse that we started, Matthew 16, verse number 18. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Thank you, Lord. For